Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. Hey, good morning, Refresh. Hey, way to go. Nice t-shirts. I need one a little larger. Can you help me out? Hey, uh, what a great weekend for our students. Uh, we, just had a, they, we just had a great time. Uh, Lizanne and I were praying yesterday at nine o'clock for y'all. And just it was such an honor just to be, uh, be uh, interceding for you. And I'm just looking forward to hearing all the great work God is doing in you and through you. I know he's doing great work. He's building you up, isn't he? Praise God. Hey, uh, we're uh, so excited for uh, what God is working in all of our hearts. And I just want to welcome you here to the Vine. My name's John Adams, lead pastor. If you're here in person or online, thank you for being here. Uh, These are not easy times, but we come to a great and good God who brings us a wonderful word. And so uh, this fall, we have been going through and will be going through the letter of Philippians. And I'm really excited about this uh, because it's just a splendid book, one of my favorites. And we're going to be teaching all the way through it through the the rest of this fall. And uh, as last week, we saw that the major theme in Philippians is not just joy, it is, but it's becoming confident in Christ. And uh, we defined becoming confident in Christ last week as this way. Uh, a growing trust in Jesus that he has done and will do what he said he would do in every situation. Isn't that good that someone comes through like that for you? And for me, that we have a God who we can have that growing trust in and believe that he is going to come through in every situation and his promises and his word are true and reliable. This is great news. And so uh, as, we, as we look at this word today, we started in Paul's prayer last week, which is like one of the extended prayers of Paul. We started in verse 3, and we're going to go down now t- today from verses 7 to 11 and really look at that prayer of Paul. Um, you know, prayer, of, uh, prayer started all throughout the Old Testament and through the New. You remember maybe some great prayers of the Old Testament like Moses, Or uh, Psalm 90 is a great prayer he had. Or uh, you think about Esther and her prayer on behalf of her people. Or Nehemiah when, again, the Jewish people were in exile. And he prayed this amazing prayer on behalf of his people. And then uh, David, of course, the man of prayer. 150 prayers called Psalms. And then Jesus who prays often and then he gives us a model prayer calls the Lord prayer, Lord's prayer. And so every one of these prayers have about one thing in common, and it's this. God is the center of the prayers. God is greatly honored for who he is and what he has done. And today we're going to see how God is lifted up in prayer by Paul and how he wants to teach us how to pray differently and actually how to live differently as we trust his holy word. So we come to God's word. If you look and open your Bibles, we'd encourage you, bring your Bibles, your handhelds each week, because we want to dig into the context 
of this scripture and, and make sure we understand it well. And we're going to be starting in uh, verse number seven of Philippians chapter one. And I remind you, as we do each week, this is God's holy and errant inspired word. May he change our hearts and our lives this day. Amen. Philippians chapter one, verse number seven. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We're going to see from this passage today that we want to give God the glory as you rest in his grace and love. That's what we're going to focus on. Give God the glory as you rest in his grace and his love. And the first way we're going to do that is seeing here the way Paul prayed. And he prayed this, that God's grace would unite our hearts. And we see that in verses 7 and 8. Look at that. It says, it talks there about um, really the, the love and relationship Paul had with the Philippian people. And, and the very thing that united Paul with the Philippians was God's grace. It was what he brought everything, leveled the playing field in every way. It caused them to have in, Paul in common with this church, really life itself in Jesus. And he says, uh, just to remind you of last week of what grace did for Paul and the Philippians, um, we see that God's grace, by God's grace, we are saints in verse one. And then we receive his gifts of grace and peace in verse two from God. And then it says, this is wonderful. He will complete every work he has begun in you and through you. This is in verse six. You see, Paul has this amazing extended prayer. And of all his 13 letters, this is the most relational introduction. It's because he usually writes about problems or struggles the church is having. But here, he's just there to say, really, I'm for you guys. I love you. I have a relationship with you. Thanks be to God, who by his grace has united our hearts together. And so uh, look at verse seven. He goes on to say this, that look, it's not just because you gave money to me and they did through a man named Epaphroditus. And, it's, and it's, it's because you have and I have a vested interest in one another's lives. We're close. We're tight. We are bonded because of Jesus Christ and with one another. Philippians 1.7 says, for you all are partakers or literally share with, have in common with one another, with me of grace. For you are all partakers with me of grace, 
both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. I have a really good friend in, in Southern California I grew up with, uh, and uh, I just love this guy like crazy. And we're today still really close friends. And you know what? If, if I was in prison like Paul was here, I know he would come visit me. And I know he would kind of, if I needed money and I was struggling or I had a failure, I know he'd sacrifice what he has to give me what I might need. And I know it's all, you know, he wouldn't give me money just because, oh, he's going to somehow make me love him more. I love that guy like crazy. I love this friend, and he loves me. And we're committed to one another. We're, we're like partakers of God's grace. And it's so good to have that relationship with him. And Paul is saying, in essence, this is the kind of relationship I have with the Philippian church. We together are partakers of God's grace, so much so that Paul was, you can see this, he was willing to do some pretty hard things, especially for men. He says to be vulnerable with others. Um, you remember, Paul was in prison, and you know, if, if you and I were imprisoned, who would you be thinking about? <laughs> Moi. You would be thinking about number one. You would be thinking likely about yourself. But Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was thinking about others. His heart was rejoicing in the deep affection that he had for the Philippians. Verse 7 says this. He doesn't just say, I love you. Look, look at the words he uses. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. This word feel is used 23 times in this letter. <laughs> Do you think Paul had feelings? Yes, he did. But it wasn't just emotionalism or just a reaction. He was grounding his feelings in the truth and he had really the best interest of the Philippians in mind. That's great. That's great to have a friend or a brother like that. And look at the word he uses here. He says, I yearn for you. Hey, hey guys, I don't know the last time you've had another guy say, I yearned for you. That's a little weird. <laughs> All right? I'm just saying. But, you know, in today's world, we have, you know, every, a lot of words have been stolen, right? But there you can't even, you know, it'd be hard for us to say, I yearn for you. But here he says this, and, and he says this to uh, convey the deep, really, love and relationship he has with the Philippian church. And, um, you know, this isn't just out of a romance novel. This is the word of God. And he's teaching us, what is he teaching us by this? Are you vulnerable? Do you have someone in your life, you know, where you can really be vulnerable about your struggles with maybe sin or with relationships, or you get into a big problem, are you sharing with someone in your life? Maybe even someone even outside your family. Paul did that. He was vulnerable. And he uses this word affection, uh, which literally means the most inner parts of your body. I'll have to say it. It, it literally means the word bowels. We would say gut. <laughs> 
But here Paul is saying, from the deepest part of me, I have a longing, a yearning for you, you the Philippians. And this is all God-centered. This is all right and healthy and goodness. And remember that Paul is hurting. He, he should be focused on him, or likely, in a natural way, we would be focused on ourselves. But Paul is focusing on others because the Holy Spirit is making him to encourage these people in the midst of his burdens. Are we doing that? How do you do that? <laughs> it's hard. In fact, it's impossible on your own. You need help. I need help from someone outside of us. So not only do we see Paul is vulnerable, but he just, he puts a huge value on the Philippian people. Uh, here in verses 7 through 8, um, four times he uses the plural form of the word you. And you see, notice it, he uses, it appears three out of the four times it's you all. He wasn't Southern, but he, he used you all. And the point Paul is making is it's all y'all. I, I, he was for and yearned with an affection for every person in the Philippian church, not just the leader types or the people who are his age group or, or the people he thought, hey, I can, I can relate to these people. Or they had a small group with just one group. No, he, he said, you all. I have an affection, a yearning for all of you. And this is, again, a God centered kind of love. And, and it's given by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I just love uh, uh, refresh students. Uh, yesterday, uh, Lizanne and I, that's my wife, beautiful wife, 35 years. She's amazing. You should get to know her. <laughs> and, and, and so the we together at nine o'clock gathered with Steve and Barbara Kennedy for prayer for you guys for a couple hours. And uh, it was just fabulous. We prayed for every one of you by name. We prayed, that, we prayed that Jesus would be exalted in your life and he would truly build you up and that you would know him. And it wasn't just because of your parents' faith, but that you would know God. And it was such a great time. And what I was so encouraged by is Steve and Barbara Kennedy being there. And Steve is, is, you know, some of you know him from Christ Covenant, Covenant Christian School, sorry. And uh, you know him very well. But he has such a, he and his wife have such a love and affection, not just for the students of Covenant, but for all you all. And it was so good to pray for all you all. And we deliberately and intentionally did so. And you know, it just showed what God can do by His grace, changing us to love one another in the family of God. And that's what we have together, is the family of God. And it's God's grace working in us together. So what an honor to join with the Kennedys, to be, that was just one expression. I think there were 15 people or so signed up for just prayer. And I know lots of people brought food and you were in homes and you have small group leaders who love you. And there's so many people that care 
about you because God's grace unites us. Isn't that cool? And God's grace unites us all together in his body, the body of Christ. So here we see in, first of all, from this passage that, um, that it is God's grace who unites our hearts in verses 7 and 8. But secondly, it's God's love that flows through us to others in verses 9 through 11. There's three characteristics we see of this kind of Christ-centered love. And it's, first of all, that a love that makes wise choices. Look at verse 9. It says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. This, this love is rooted in a knowledge and discernment that chooses what is best. Knowledge means applied knowledge. And it is, it is really talking about God's word, the Bible. And as we root our decisions and choices in God's word, he teaches us to approve, verse 10, of what is excellent. We, we don't have to randomly figure this out or kind of do this on our own. He leads us through his word and gives us the knowledge and understanding to know how to, where we should put our affections and our loves, to, to know where we spend our money or our time. And money and time is, so, you know, time is so valuable in today's world. Or that we just don't spend it on any cause or any kind of thing that comes around. But that we ask God, God, how can I maximize my life and resources and your love that can flow through me to build your kingdom for your glory and your fame. You see, that's a love that makes wise choices. That's grounded in the word of God and guided by the Holy Spirit. Another characteristic is it's genuine. It's a genuine love that produces good fruit. And we see this in verses 10 and 11. It says, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Another way of saying the word pure is, is sincere or genuine. Now, um, <clears throat> students, I, I don't know if you've, uh, I forgot my $100 bill and I was supposed to pull it out right now, but there it is. Can you see it? <laughs> yeah, make believe. But, the, uh, but you know, it's, it's this kind of green, green piece of paper that people used to use before credit cards or Online payments, right? Touch screens and all that stuff. It, you know, uh, and um, so I remember in days of old, you know, going into a store and to authenticate or make it sincere, if you will, from this understanding of this word pure, uh, you know, like a, a grocer would hold up that $100 bill to make sure it had a watermark on it and hold it up into the light and the light would shine the watermark and it'd be okay. No, pretty much it's, it's genuine. And if it, it didn't have that watermark, it was just like copied at home by you on some nice green paper that looked like cash. You, <laughs> that's not gonna go so far. But here it was, it was genuine and it was, it was hold, held up into the light and seen to be authentic. You know, our lives, we're not dollar bills, but our lives are to be held up before, in the light of Christ. In his light, uh, Andrew, 
preached a great sermon just a few weeks ago, Andrew Collins, our youth pastor, and he preached on, I am the light of the world. And he talked about how Jesus exposes us to whether we're, are, are we authentic? Are we real? Are we genuine? And, and he, by his light, Jesus, who is the light, John chapter 8, verse 12, shows us that, exposes that. And so here that word sincere means to be, uh, it, means, it means genuine or sincere. It's the word pure here. But secondly, it's the word blameless, which means without fault. And, and, and for the day of Christ means the day when Jesus will come and return in his second coming. And, and so here we see in this, this passage, when we ask ourselves, are our lives sincere and blameless? The only way that we will be sincere and blameless is through relying on Christ and his saving love and his work. The result of relying on his work is that we will produce good fruit. And good fruit is just one evidence that we are growing in Christ. Look at verse 11 again. It says, we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, you will know them by their fruit. And, and this is kind of an easy to understand illustration, especially if you've, you've ever, you know, done any landscaping or such. Uh, you know, a few, a few uh, months ago, um, Lizanne and I were, you know, coming out of COVID or in COVID, we had a little more time at home and I started to address my backyard a little bit, which I haven't addressed for about 19 years of living there. <laughs> so I decided, okay, it's about time. So, so I had a, a guy come out, a landscaping plan was designed, it was nice, it cost me a few shekels. And, uh, and, uh, but then uh, you know, he gave me a price to actually buy and then install the plan. And I'm like, whoa, whew. no, wow, that's, that's a little, little pricey. And so I decided to do a brilliant thing. I decided to buy the plants and trees and install them myself. There were 72 plants and trees. I was digging these holes and it was like, wow, this is a good, this is a good workout or something. <laughs> and, uh, you know, roots everywhere. It was kind of, it was, but I, one of the trees that I, was buying at the, at the nursery was, I was trying to get a plum tree. We've always wanted a plum, plum tree. We had one at the last house for many years. And well, I just wanted that. And uh, so I go to this guy and he shows me this tree and I look at the tree and it looks, you remember that Charlie Brown's Christmas tree looked like? <laughs> kind of looked like that. And uh, it was pretty sparse. And I go, is that a plum tree? I thought it could be a peach tree. I, for that matter, I don't know. And he said, yes, in fact, this is a really good variety. It looks a little bad, but I promise you it's going to be good. You can return it if, I'm not going to return it. <laughs> you know? And he goes, he goes, it's going to grow plums. But the reason we will know that's a plum tree is actually when I see plums on it. And I get to eat them and enjoy them. And it will be kind of a travesty if there is no fruit, Right? You know, our lives, we're, we're not, we don't produce plums. We produce 
Christ produces through us his righteousness. And it's not about the amount of plums, so to speak, that we produce in our lives. We are, though, all, every one of us who know Jesus are to grow in faith and, and to really thank him. Wow, why, how good it is, Lord, that you're helping me to grow. And, and without, you know, again, judgment or condemnation for others around us. We know when we produce fruit, which is his righteousness working through us, is actually his work as we trust him. It's an amazing kind of reality. Paul says later on in Philippians, he says about Christ's righteousness, Philippians 3, 9, he says that we are to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Jesus promises that for, if we are a Christ follower, he will fill you more and more with his fruit, his righteousness. And we know it's not our own work, it's Christ. And so that's the reason why, church, we are to give all praise, all adoration, all glory to God because the righteousness we produce is from Him. He's, we're in union with Him. It's because we become like, you know, John 17, like a branch that just abides in the vine and He flows His fruit of righteousness in us. And then through us, to our schools, with our families, with our workplace, marriages, our relationships, our friendships, in this busy, crazy world. And that will change us, won't it? That will change us. And we will become, and looking more and more, like when we get to chapter 2, like having the attitude or mind of Jesus, we will look more and more like our beautiful Lord because his righteousness is, ours, is flowing through us. And the last characteristic in this passage of his love um, that flows through us to others is this, verse 11, it's God-glorifying. It's a God-glorifying love. Um, verse 11 ends this way. It says, to the glory and praise of God. This was Paul's biggest desire. Glory to God. Let my life glorify God. Is that your big purpose in life? That's Westminster Catechism, Shorter Catechism says, what's the chief end of man? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. Is that your big desire? It's what Paul's was, and it was his prayer for not just the Philippians, but for you and me, that our lives would make him big, beautiful. He's already big and beautiful, but others would see through our lives the expression that we, we by his grace and his love working in us and through us, that yes, God is beautiful. It's not just about religion. It's not just about keeping rules. It's not just about performing in your life. 
It's about being in union with a gracious and amazingly loving God. And so that's why Paul, over and over again, he would glorify God. He says in other places, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink, those are pretty important things, right? Or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all. Do all to the glory of God. Remember, y'all, this is Paul's in prison when he writes this letter to people that he dearly loved, a church he wanted to be with. And the only way he would write this in this way, with this expression, this focus on God, and then this prayer for others is this. God was doing this in him and pouring out his grace and love through them. Man, I want to pray like this. I want to live like this. I want us together. I'm praying, not only just praying this weekend for you all, but you all, all y'all that are part of the Vine Community Church, our pastors, our elders, our, our group leaders, we desire for you to grow in God's grace and his love in your life now and for the rest of your life. You know, may God be praised. He can do this through you because God came. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. Yes, Philippians 2 says, even death on a cross. Why? So that he would take your and my punishment for our sin upon himself. The penalty we deserved was placed on Jesus. Jesus took the wrath that we should have endured. And he shows us grace and love. Only God can and has done this for you. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.